For a moment, let me speak as a fool. Maybe Paul was slipping. Maybe something was coming undone in Paul's life, and he was returning to a way that was much more familiar to him, much easier for him to comprehend naturally, and that was hatred of Gentiles. He says, don't do what the Gentiles do. You know the slur against them? He repeats it in Galatians, speaking to Peter. They are Gentile sinners. They are dirty, filthy people, and you don't want to do what they do. They are goyim. Maybe he is saying what the Talmud in several hundred years will compile about the Gentiles, much less about Jesus, their Savior. Maybe he was slipping. Maybe he was just sick of it. Maybe he was sick of being among strange people. And if he was not to leave the church, maybe he would form a kind of pressure group for his group, which was statistically being outnumbered more and more, somewhat to his own surprise. At least they could secure Jewish power within a largely Gentile church. Who knows what he was trying to do? But I scarcely think that could be true. For in talking about the former way of life that they once led, he leads you to reminisce about when he talks about his former way of life in Judaism. So Gentile must not mean something about blood here. No more than Israel in either Galatians or Romans means something about blood. It must mean something else. Maybe it has something to do with verses that you all know. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you were saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, lest any man. Jew, Gentile, whatever other racial or ethnic demonyms you have for him, lest any man should boast. It is God's gift to all, Jew and Gentile, black and white alike. It is a gift. But he is going on today to talk about the things in the verse right after 2.9 that many people have forgotten. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works that you should walk in them. You heard that word. Let me read it to you again. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are not identified by their blood, but by their ways. For Paul, this mighty disciple of Jesus, knows the principles that Jesus laid down in the Sermon on the Mount. You do not pay attention to the outward appearance of a man, nor to what he says, but what he actually does. This is what matters. This is what tells you the truth. And he diagnoses the Gentiles, whether Jew by blood or Gentile by blood, he diagnoses them in this way. Their minds are futile. They are set on vanity. This does not mean that they are lacking in confidence. This does not mean that they are lacking in conviction. This does not mean that they are not flourishing. You have only to read the Psalms to see how well the Gentiles do in this world which they rule. How much they occupy, how much money they control, of how much they are in charge and can tell you what to do. But Paul says their minds are futile. When they set their heart on something, when they set their minds on something, it will at last, finally, we know it, come to nothing. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. But let this rant not be about those outside the church, for I am speaking in the church today and Paul was speaking to the church. 
Let's say it this way. Beware the leaven of the Gentiles. For hardness of heart is not something that only afflicts unbelievers. Yes, it afflicted Pharaoh. Of course it did. But it is also something that by and by and by came upon Israel of old and hardened many. So that there was a time when the prophet fled into the wilderness and he thought he was the only person left in the world who believed the Lord's word. Here you are with how many other people today? Here you are watching on the internet with how many others? Are you alone? Are you where Elijah was? Have the ravens had to come and feed you yet? By no means. So take heart. You are by no means alone, either here or in the whole earth today. Nor was Paul. Nor was he daunted by these things or surprised by them. Hardness of heart always leads to callousness toward God, first of all, and then toward the neighbor. And when it infects the church, it makes the church all about the things that the Gentiles do. Listen to your Lord. You shall not be as the Gentiles who lord it over them, whose whole obsession in life is power and compliance. You shall not be like that. You have no need to be like that. But not only is the Gentile obsessed with power and its exercise, there is still more, friends. There is worse in the leaven of the Gentiles. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice, every kind of impurity, some of it public. We see in our own country more and more of this impurity public every day, but some of it's still hidden, and I dare say it will remain hidden, at least some of it. There are things of which even the Gentiles are still ashamed. But you knew that already because Paul already told you in another place that what they do is hidden and that their works which are unfruitful or as he says here futile are unfruitful works of darkness they come from darkness and they generally are done in darkness when someone is obsessed with power and his own gratification he must hide he cannot be open with you he must be like the super apostles who challenged Paul in Corinth so that Paul said to the Corinthians, one of the big distinctions is, with you, Corinthians, the apostle says, my heart is wide open. How does Jesus say it in the Sermon on the Mount? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let that be enough. More than this proceeds from the evil one. More than this means you have something you need to hide some kind of power to maintain or some kind of power to seize. And you know how they do this, especially with us. They use the word love. They've been using it for years. Let me say to you this phrase, and you know exactly what it means, and it has nothing to do with the Bible. Love wins. You know exactly what that means, and it has nothing to do with man or woman or children or fruitful multiplication, it is unfruitful and destructive and perverse, love wins. This is what they do to you. They take your own words, they even take Bible words, and they turn them against you. It is bad enough that the Gentiles do this. Let us not do it with one another, by no means. Let us not manipulate with words. Let us not tell each other lies, or worse than that, half-truths. We can be open. 
Because the love that we know is not a sneaking, cowering, deceptive, manipulative kind of love, dishonest about what it is and what it wants, the way the world does when it says that word, love. Our love is open. Our love is displayed on the cross of Calvary. Our love is like the open love that led Jacob, Israel, when he favored Joseph to give him a coat everyone else could see. This is the love that we proclaim throughout the world. So open is this love, so honest, so obvious. When Paul tells you to put on the new self, a kind of neutered translation here in the ESV, what he means is for you to put on the new man, the new Adam, the second man from heaven into whom you were baptized. When you put on a coat, the world does not recognize. And when it sees that you are baptized and that you are blessed from heaven itself, it either misunderstands as Joseph's brothers did, or finally, it persecutes you for the fact that you are blessed from heaven with a birth the world knows nothing of, born again of water and the Spirit. Put on your baptism. Paul says, put on your Christ, who is yours in baptism, and has made you closer to him than anything could ever be. Closer to you even than your own thoughts is your Christ, so put him on. Put him on daily as you arise and emerge to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. And what is this putting on Christ? I hope that at long last we have done with abstract discussions of the third use of the law. Many of you have not yet started seminary in earnest, and so maybe you will have these, but I hope that they are now over. Is it not obvious enough from Ephesians 4 that we are not to live as the world lives, that we have been baptized into something better and finer, and that the danger in the church exists within the church, not between the church and the world? Paul knows that the Gentiles will devote themselves to futility. He does not want you to do the same. Put on the new man. Put on Christ. And look to Christ to see what that is if you need a model. Look to Paul to see what that is if you need a model. And encourage one another in it. But what does he say? Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, put off your old self, that old man, which belongs to your former manner of life, as Paul's was in Judaism, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You see that the Gentile both deceives and is deceived. But you are honest now about your sin, about your Savior, and with one another, and you do not live in that way. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new man, let's say. So then he says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And when you are angry with your neighbor, something unavoidable in a community where you see each other constantly, whether a seminary or a congregation, or in some senses, a synod, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Let it be dealt with. Let it be done with. Do not dissemble nor cloak from each other what you perfectly well know about each other. Deal with it. Handle it with the brother. If you cannot, he must not really be a brother. 
Be honest with one another. And when you get outside, at least, take the mask off and show each other who you are. It's time now. Because when Paul speaks about these, what get talked dryly about as moral exhortations, he has in mind something much bigger than simply telling people what to do. If he wanted to be, have people be utterly compliant, he would have stayed in the same place his whole ministry, and they would have become accustomed to him, and he could have told them exactly what to do, and they would have done it. If he were interested in power, he would not plead with people. He would simply order them. What is he interested in? The fact that Christ is coming. That everything changes in view of that. That he has come and inaugurated a new heavens and a new earth. And that this new creation exists in you right now who are being renewed according to the image of God which is in Christ Jesus. The image of the invisible God. You are being renewed in that image, body, soul, and spirit. Your existence, the fact that there is a congregation here at all today, is a mighty work of God. I mean that most sincerely. I am amazed that anyone is listening to Christian preaching in 2020. But here we are. And it is wonderful, it's amazing, it is stupendous that Christ gathers his people still in this way, in this time, and this place. Praise the Lord, give thanks to him, call upon his name, because he is coming. There will be a time when the Gentiles' power is revealed for what it is, dust nothing. Gentiles both inside and outside the church. All their power crumbling, all of their words, all of their orders crumbling, all of the secrets that they have revealed all of the things that they have whispered in malice, shouted from the housetops, it is coming. We know this. The church knows this. God's Israel knows this. And we know that all depends not upon the orders of the Gentiles, nor upon their demands upon us, much less upon the hidden things they dare not speak. The world is not determined by those things. Christ is king over heaven and earth for your sake, Church of God, for your sake. He has set his eye upon you and loves you utterly. And ruling over heaven and earth for your sake, he will come once more. And his voice, his word, his order shall come, and none will even be able to disobey. Every knee will bow then. Every tongue will confess the things you already say and sing here in his congregation. Once more, the Lion of Judah will roar, and the nations will be scattered, and their kings will cast their crowns at the Lion's feet, and peace will be as it is even this day upon you, the Israel of God. Amen.